Hi everyone, I'm Becky Shand and this is Representation Matters, conversations around diversity in the workplace, a podcast series by The Equal Group, bringing stories, insights and learnings around optimising equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Welcome to today's episode where I'm joined by Carol Rosati OBE. Carol is a non-executive director, qualified coach, diversity campaigner and advocate for more inclusive workplaces. She has championed women in senior leadership for the last decade. Over the last 25 years, as a headhunter, Carol has helped people on their career journey. She is passionate about helping others to learn and develop better ways to handle the issues that are standing in the way of their goals. Having founded Inspire, the global network for senior business women, which connects over 8,000 senior business women worldwide. She has encouraged and helped thousands of women to achieve their goals and aspirations and was honoured to receive an OBE for services to women in business in 2015. She was also included in the global top 50 DNI professionals list in 2016 and 2017. Carol is a trustee on the UN Women UK National Committee and she's based in London. Thank you so much for joining us today, Carol. Real pleasure. It's a privilege to be speaking to you. So um, I'm going to kind of dive into some questions and uh, we could take it from there. Lovely. Okay. Just to kind of give some background to our listeners, could you perhaps share some of your personal experience in the world of work and how it has led to where you are and what you're passionate about today? Well, I think for me, the main thing is um, obviously I started out as a headhunter and then for the last decade I've been been very much involved in campaigning for uh, better diversity and once it gets under your skin you certainly become incredibly passionate about it Um, and it becomes (laughs) all-encompassing. In terms of um, how you ended up you know doing your coaching and launching um, the Inspire Network what was it about your career journey that led to that? Well, believe it or not, I, sp- I spent the first 20 odd years of my career, um, as I said, as a headhunter, and I hadn't noticed that all of my clients were men and all of my candidates were <laughs> men. And actually, my team were all men. Um, and uh, it came in a, a, a huge moment for me. I, I stood up to do a, an opening address at an event. Um, and as, as I looked around, I, I realised that there were 65 guys looking at me. And apart from the waitress in the room, I was the only woman. Um, so I went back to the office the next day and went, um, well, that was a bit imbalanced. Um, <laughs> couldn't you find any women? Um, and it sort of went from there, really. And, and my, my career went off in a very, very different direction. That's really interesting. So it was just that it was that obvious to you that you thought, I need to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it was for me, literally, to start with, we could only find less than 300 women um, because we wanted to work at board level to start with. Um, and it took a decade to get it to 8,000 worldwide. That is that is a while and you're, and you're still going and still adding to that. So that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so over the, I said, you know, over that 10 years, um, there's obviously been a change. How would you sort of assess the state of equality, diversity, inclusion in the workplace across the UK from this point today? Well, it's it's certainly better than when I started, um, but there's still such a long way to go. And I I think the dialogue is more open and the recognition that change needs to happen is certainly out there. But the reality is that the status quo is still hard to shift in real terms. 
um, and, and the pace of change is so slow. But if you think about it, um, many there aren't that many senior roles that come available um, for change, possible change to happen in any one year. And then when they do, the role is still more likely to be filled with a newer version of the same thing. So mm. <laughs> really, the reality is it is quite difficult to affect change. And I, I'm aware that, you know, there there are various, um, you know, monitoring uh, agencies that are, you know, reviewing how, how much diversity is on the um, on boards. And mm. um, I think the fact at the moment that I found was that about 29% of the FTSE 100 board positions are held by women and more women than ever before are on the boards of the UK's largest companies. So I feel like we're heading in the right direction, but as you say, there's still a lot more to be done. Um, how, how do you think companies can encourage more women into those leadership positions? And I guess what needs to be done to continue to increase this diversity at, at, the, at these levels? Well, yeah, I mean, there has been significant progress over the last decade and, and in many areas. And at least in the UK, um, we only have two remaining FTSE 350 boards with all male, that, that are all male. Um, but that really doesn't do much for the pipeline. And the stark truth is, if we don't create a more sustainable pipeline for all kinds of diversity, not just women, um, to create future leaders, then the exec management teams will, won't look any different from 10 years from now. Um, so there is so much to be done. And I think in terms of the, I, I, there's a multitude of things that businesses can do. The first thing to do is recognise what who they have. Um, and, you know, who they are, really, because in many aspects, people just tend to go for somebody they feel comfortable with. So the, the result is always the same. Mm, that whole thing of people, you know, subconsciously choosing people that look and, and sound like themselves. Yeah. So really, you know, that they even if they've got a remit to try and change things, the reality is when push comes to shove, people go for the same thing because they're comfortable. And do you think that largely a, a, a lot of these decisions might be based off of a stereotypical view that people might have of certain underrepresented groups, uh, assumptions that are made about women, you know, in terms of the work-life balance and things like that? How do you think this affects um, the decisions that people make to include women at these levels? <laughs> Goodness me, that's a big one. Um, a psychologist once told me that we have up to 200 filters in front of our face before we actually stick out our hand to say hello to someone. So and if you think in terms of those, those filters are made up from your stock life experiences. So they are both conscious and unconscious in terms of the decisions that you actually if fundamentally make. Um, and so you know, human beings are hugely complex creatures. Um, and it's very, very difficult to shift mindsets in terms of um, moving away from your comfort zone, from something that you're comfortable with. Um, and at the end of the day, if somebody is um, comfortable with their team, they won't want to take the risk to put somebody who's different in their eyes into it, um, resulting in groupthink and lack of innovation, quite frankly. So really, when it's only when you start to point things like that out that people do tend to get a light bulb moment and go, oh, OK, well, that might affect the bottom line then and then start to think differently about how they might recruit. Mm, I think that's that's very true that, you know, there's there's unconscious and also conscious bias um, that plays a role in the lack of diversity. 
Um, <clears throat> what sort of education or training do you feel needs to be done around this? Because I know that um, you know unconscious bias training is a buzzword at the moment. Um, do you think it's effective? Do you think that there are other things that need to be done to challenge this? Well, I mean, unconscious bias training in itself um, is fine, but it's not a one-off tick box exercise. You, you can't have a one-day course and say, yeah, right, okay, we're fixed now. Um, it's really, it's just the start of the journey and it's, it's to make people be more aware um, and start the conversation. And I've had so many people attend courses saying, well, I haven't got any biases. And you think, well, of course you do. Everybody does because you're seeing, you're seeing life through your particular lens. Um, and as I said, you know, that it's a sum of all your life experiences and it can't be wiped out overnight. So for me, um, things like bar and bag lunches, for example, are, are a great way of people um, getting people to see life through a different lens. And the key to it all, I think, personally, is, is breaking down privilege bias. And I'm, I'm not talking about um, having a country manor or, or going to private school, more about um, getting people to see life um, how others see it. I mean, one a, a, a sort of silly but quite pertinent example is I, I try to explain what privilege bias meant to a group of, um, should we say, slightly older gentlemen at a, a gentleman's breakfast club talk that I went that I was giving, and uh, I asked them to put up their hand if they were left-handed, um, and they sort of looked a bit puzzled. And I said, okay, when you came in and you sat down and your knife and fork were the wrong way round for you to eat. How did it make you feel? And you, you could see them going, oh, oh, OK. And it was just a really silly example to get them to say, because I said the person that set the, the um, tables this morning was probably right handed and they wouldn't have mm. any idea that people could use a knife and fork a different way around. And it's, it's, it's just a great way of sort of illustrating that, that it's not necessarily a, you know, people aren't malicious necessarily, but they will have an un totally unconscious bias in that respect um, because they see life in a different way. Mm, absolutely. And I think, you know, we have to be honest that a lot of the people um, perhaps at the top are unaware of yeah. um, some of the struggles that underrepresented groups are facing. Um, but at the same time, it is everybody's responsibility, isn't it, to make sure that we are, we, we are looking out for these people that might need that extra help. Um, Absolutely. And I, yeah. And, you know, the I think business as a whole needs to understand the, the role of intersectionality. I mean, we we, we are multifaceted and, and we can't be confi confined to one box. I mean, we experience life in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, for example, a, a woman of colour will have a very different journey to her, say, um, gay or heterosexual white female colleague. But each individual brings a totally unique blend of, of experience to the table, which should be recognised and celebrated and be equal to anyone else. Absolutely. So how do we make this cause sort of more widely known within organisations? Because I know there are um, companies that have a specific rep uh, representative who deals with diversity and inclusion, and sometimes um, that cause can just be left to them, but then it doesn't really affect the whole company. Um, what do you think about that? I think, um, interestingly, as uh, over the last decade, there's been a marked um, increase in 
businesses having a um, a person that's not necessarily in the HR function, but is is standalone with direct access to the chief exec as a diversity and inclusion specialist. Um, and I think that's interesting because certainly that's that's shows that they are committed and interested and want to effect change. Um, and for me, for example, I, I think one of the other things that that I was really pleased about <laughs> as a as a chair of a, a remunerations committee, um, there's a, a new version of the UK Corporate Governance Code has come out this year. Um, and for the first time ever, diversity and inclusion is front and centre. Um, and what it means is that the that boards in general are much more responsible for the culture of the organisation. So I, I do think I, I even read the uh, supporting notes and it does encourage the the remuneration committee to actually work with the hr function to um ensure that uh, there's best practice in interviewing for example so that you have a, a a mixed panel um so that you actually look at the vocabulary and language of of job specs or or, or adverts for example um so the, there is a lot that will now be done that that businesses maybe didn't even think about in the past I think that's really important and, uh, you know, it's it's great that businesses are making it a priority, which yeah. is really, really important. Yeah. So from from a business side, there are, um, you know, things that can be done to increase that diversity and inclusion. Uh, what sort of advice would you give to people on the other side, to so those that are considering maybe taking up board level positions and and management positions that are from underrepresented groups um how can you know women be more prepared to take on these type of roles um well there's a lot um network 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 um meet as many people as you can and learn your sales pitch i mean at the end of the day you are the person who knows you best of all um, and identifying your, your key strengths and your skills and weave them into the story of your achievements. You know, that is it, it, having that to hand or in your head, it will make you so much more self-assured and confident and, and come across much more um, ready, if you like. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is um, get yourself a mentor and a sponsor and a coach if possible. I mean, obviously, I'm a bit biased to the coach side, but um, the, the, I think it's really, really important, particularly for women, um, to get a sponsor, somebody that will actually um, speak out for you and sometimes even push you through the door, um, you know, and make, make you go for uh, seize every opportunity rather than sort of shy away from it. Um, and obviously a coach can work with you on an individual basis to, to really reach for your goals and get there. So that, that's really important. Um, and the other thing is actually be honest with yourself, um, particularly for, for non-exec roles. I mean, there is absolutely no point in applying for a role in a sector you have no knowledge of. Um, you know, for, for example, oh, yeah, I'd, lo I'd love one in a, uh, with a retail company when you have no retail experience. Um, you might have an ASOS habit, but <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily make you a, a good non-exec in that particular sector. So, you know, really, really, really focus on the roles that you that you could actually bring something to the table. I think that's really good advice because I think that sometimes the barriers that we perceive, um, you know, there's there's the saying that if you don't see somebody else um, who looks like you in a role that you would like, that there's that lack of inspiration. Mm. But sometimes that is, is a barrier that we can create for ourselves where with, with regards to, you know, the, the glass ceiling, but somebody like a coach or a mentor or a sponsor can help you break through those mental barriers so that 
you can just kind of go for it completely yeah yeah it's, it's i think it's, it's really really important because um the the imposter syndrome is is alive and kicking um mm -hmm. in in many women um and some men but more so in women um and we tend to um think about the and the, the old um piece of, i don't know who did the research i think it's an urban myth now but the um i can I, anecdotally certainly uh, it holds up that you know women, women do um if they if they're not sure more than 95 percent of the role they won't go for it and they'll still worry about the five percent um whereas a guy would quite happily put himself forward um at 40 percent of skills uh, <laughs> and ex and expect to get the job um and mm -hmm. it, it it is so true and you know, it's just and we're not better than each other we're just different and yes. we have different priorities and and certainly um one of the things i'm i guess i'm most proud of is is teaching the consultants uh, where i used to work how to how to engage with women differently because we um what i found was they tended to think about the payback you know going from one role to another it isn't just about is the role good it's all about the support network in terms of does it enable me to do my life mm. um and that that's actually really really important as well but on the on the on the female on the woman side um we need to be a bit more feisty in terms of you know seize the opportunity and sweat the small stuff later mm. <laughs> so uh, and that's something that I, I do i'm very passionate about yeah that's really good um I, I listened to one of your podcast interviews with um, a lady called Sarah Jackson, OB from Working mm -hmm. Families. And I, I found it really interesting um, where she said about how the you know work culture still needs to change when it comes to creating better work-life balance. Mm. Um, and I think it, it's an important topic when it comes to women because obviously women are the ones that would take time out of work to have children. And you mentioned earlier about um, the pipeline, um, mm. you know, being needing to be filled so that we continue to have diversity um, at all levels. Um, I can't help but think that there must be a gap in the pipeline at the point where most women would go away to have children. How how would we then tackle that so that the pipeline is still full enough so that we can have the diversity that we really want at you know, at the top. Uh, it's it's an interesting one because I, I um, people often ask me, you know, can women have it all? <laughs> um, and uh, I always say yes, but not necessarily at the same time. Um, you know, I I still manage to go upwards in my career, and I ha I've had two children. Um, and but uh, I think again, the key to it is communication, because your your needs as a parent, man or woman um changes very 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 quickly it's, it's very transient in terms of what your needs are when you do have a family but again a be honest with yourself but also be honest with your employer um i i could be more more controversial and say you should make it compulsory for for guys to have time off as well because that would really balance the playing field um <laughs> because uh and the, the, and the thing i find um most interesting is so much of it is societal and how how men and women are judged differently um and how, you know, schools still tend to ring the mum if the child's ill. Um, and I, both my husband and I travel extensively. So it's who's actually in the country as to who's going to go sort out the, whatever challenge it is. Um, and it's, it took the school a long time to actually realise that it isn't always me that's there. Um, so it's, it's, it, it, you have to communicate with everyone that's in your particular circle um, so that you do get the support, both men and women. 
um, because, you know, the guys do actually want to be part of their family life as well nowadays. It's not just the women. Um, but I always talk about payback in terms of is a role enough for you to be able to enjoy your role, have your career, but also balance it with your life. Absolutely. And I, I was um, having a conversation with somebody um, about maternity, paternity leave. And it, it's, it's just funny how it is. It's a given that, you know, the woman is going to take off the most time. But what about if the woman is actually earning more than mm. the man? and wants to take less time and then you know have that sh shared parental leave um there's still su such a stereotype around you know just the women taking that time off yes there is and and also the man's judged as well and you know so as i said before it's, it's so much of it is societal in terms of and until we make it in inverted commas normal um you know, we, we will still have those challenges and that's so wrong because at the end of the day kids need um as bigger um, input from their dads as they do their mums. Simple as that. And you know we're we're raising the next generation here and you know as a mother yourself how do you think we can actually encourage the younger ge generation to have equal respect and understanding of gender and the, the diverse characteristics of all people? Well that, to be quite honest that's actually the most wonderful thing because um, for me it's so lovely to actually have a conversation with I've got two teenage daughters um, and I think social media and the Internet um, is vilified in many ways, but it's had such a positive impact on this space um, and they're so much more accepting. And I, I really hope that when they actually enter the workplace in the future, they will have the same mindset and we will see accelerated change as a consequence. Amazing. Yep, I agree. Um, and finally, Carol, um, I guess my last question would be, how would you like to be remembered as an inclusive leader? What's most important to you? <laughs> um, how do I want to be remembered? Some, someone that's made a difference and really helped people uh, get to where they want to be, wherever that is. Um, I mean, I, I, I really do enjoy helping people develop um, and growing confidence. And, and the best bit is seeing them when they fly. You know, if, if, if they don't need you anymore, that's brilliant. Um, and I, I remember how, uh, there was a young guy um, who worked for me um, just as I was starting Inspire, actually. And he I knew he was going to resign. He was he was very shifty and he wouldn't make eye contact. And he was very, he was very um, looked worried. And I said, what's the matter, David? Would you like to resign? <laughs> and uh, he, he sort of said, oh, I'm so sorry, I, but I've got this this amazing role. And I said, I would open the door and shove you out. You've got to take it. It's a brilliant opportunity. Um, and for me, it was it was a great compliment because I'd obviously got him to that stage where he could get this great role. Mm. And he's that he's now a partner in, in one of the big search firms. And, you know, it's, for me, that's the ultimate compliment because I've, I've helped him along in his journey. Yeah. So, yeah, I would hope that I'm remembered for um, helping helping the light bulbs go on as well. I want, by the time I retire, I want to get as many light bulbs go on as possible. <laughs> well, I'm sure you will, Carol, and um, we wish you all the best and just want to say another thank you for joining me on this podcast interview. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for listening today. Wherever you're tuning in from, we'd love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add? Let us know using the hashtag TEG podcasts on Twitter, or you can reach out to us anytime via contact at theequalgroup.com. 
And in the meantime, head over to our website, theequalgroup.com, for more insights and articles around equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace, as well as our Beyond Unconscious Bias training and all of our EDI products and services. Why not join our mailing list to be the first to get updates on all the latest EDI news and practical solutions. To stay tuned for more podcast interviews coming up soon, make sure you're following us on Twitter at The Equal Group. Until next time, everyone.